So I hope you're getting used to this because this is what's happening in the heavens right now and this is what we're going to do for all eternity. We're going to worship the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. What is worship? You know, the word worship means literally to bow down. It means to kiss the ground as you bow down in honor and in reverence and in awe of something or someone. The word worship means that we say that something is worth our time, our efforts, our energy, our commitment. We see value in it. So when we worship God, we acknowledge that he alone is worthy and valuable and we are in awe and in reverence of him. We literally bow down on our knees to the ground and we kiss it. That's what worship means. And that's what we see happening in this heavenly scene in Revelations chapter 4 and 5. Now, what are some of the basic principles that are involved in worship. There, there are three things I want to point out to you this morning that happened in Revelations 4 and 5 and are happening right now in the heavens, in God's space. And I want to put them on the screen so you can see them. The first thing that's happening is that worship is occurring. It's occurring through praise, thanksgiving, reverence, awe, adoration, and rejoicing. It's happening in this heavenly worship scene as the worshipers are affirming God's, and I'm, I'm using all the words that are affirmed of God in Revelations 4 and 5 here, God's honor, God's glory, God's power, God's worthiness, God's wealth. You ever thought about God being rich and wealthy? He, he, he's got all the money and the material things and however else you wish to describe wealth, he's got it all. He didn't need anything else. He's got wealth, he's got wisdom, and he's got strength. So that's the overall arching theme of what we're seeing here in Revelations 4 and 5, this time of worship and praise and awe and reverence. Now, next, we also notice that there are some things happening. This worship is taking place in a sacred space. It's called the throne room. You know, there is something to be said for architecture, something to be said for the aesthetics of a space. It provides visual and other sensory connections to God. So, for instance, uh, often in our worship, not every Sunday, but often we see, we touch, we hear the waters of baptism. We see, we smell, we touch, we taste the bread and the cup in communion. We see candles burning. We smell or we see flowers or other creations of nature in our places of worship. We see stained glass windows. We've got one right behind the choir here that provides a visual imagery. We see pictures. We see banners. Sometimes in our modern world, we can use videos that connect us to God. You know, one of the things that I noticed, and not that I'm a world traveler, but whenever I have traveled around our country, uh, I've been in England and Wales, been in Israel and Jordan, I've gone into some of these ancient churches and cathedrals, 
And you know what I notice that people do when they walk in? They see the architecture. They see the stained glass windows. They see banners. They see icons. They see and smell candles burning. You know what I notice people do? They whisper. They don't, they don't talk out loud like I'm doing. They whisper. Why are they whispering? Because they know that they're in a sacred space and the architecture and the aesthetics is reminding them that they are in the presence of a holy and sacred God. That's why they're whispering. So space is important. And the throne room had a sea of glass and a rainbow of green and all of these colors and flashes of lightning and sounds of thunder reflecting off of that sea of glass. It was just almost too much for John up in the balcony to take it all in, I bet. Okay, and then the last thing I want you to notice about, I want to put on the screen that I want you to notice about worship is that our worship does involve individual but also community, collective, congregational participation. I want you to notice in the text that there are golden bowls full of incense. And the text says they represent the prayers of the saints. You know who the saints are? You. We're the saints. Have you ever thought that when you pray individually in your devotional time, have you ever thought that when we pray in worship here, have you ever thought that when you go back to the prayer stations and you write out a prayer or leave a prayer request or light a candle that represents your prayer concerns, have you ever thought about the fact that your prayers are like incense floating up to the heavenly throne room and they hit the ceiling of the heavenly throne room and come back down and they count and they count for much, God hears them, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures are all taking in your prayers. You ever thought about that? It's happening right now, the worship and the prayers. That's something we do individually and collectively. Then the text tells us that there is a harp. Sorry about the rest of you musical, uh, instrumental people. We don't there, there's no, but, but I think there are other, actually other in, instruments that are probably included, but the harp was a big instrument back in the biblical days. There's a harp and a new song referenced in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. They'll be singing. But also notice that the rest of the words of praise are spoken and not sung. So responsive readings and litanies and unison readings and our own individualized extemporaneous words of praise are a part of the heavenly worship scene. Then God's word and his purposes are proclaimed and celebrated, and we do that in worship, don't we? We proclaim the word, we read the word, and we celebrate the word. Next, there is emotion expressed in worship. John weeps initially when no one is found worthy to open up the scroll and look inside of it. In worship, it's okay to express emotion and feelings of joy, of happiness. It's even okay to shed tears as our hearts are moved in worship. And then notice there is movement with falling on the knees and casting crowns before the throne. If, we, if you had some crowns on this morning, I'd make you cast them before the throne. And in a few moments, when we get ready to celebrate communion, I am going to ask you to get on the kneelers 
as you are able. And we're going to get on our knees because worship means you bow down before God. And that's what's happening. Did you notice that there is an offering, a sacrifice? It's initiated by Jesus the Lamb who purchases and redeems us by his sacrificial death on the cross, the shedding of the blood. So you see, when we take an offering in worship, we are mimicking, we are replicating the initial sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Did you notice in the text that there is service as we're called to be priests for God and to work on his behalf? Worship should lead us to serve and to work in what God's doing in the world. Next, there is submission and obedience. John responds to the call of this voice that is speaking that sounds like a trumpet. Boy, what must that voice have been like? A voice that sounds like a trumpet? He responds, he walks through the door, and he gets invited up to the balcony to see this scene that's happening. So submission and obedience is a part of our worship. And next, I want you to notice that there are no national or regional borders or divisions of people in the heavenly ongoing scene. Did you notice the text says, with your blood, you purchase men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but if you think the heavenly scene is going to be composed of all white, middle-class Baptists from eastern North Carolina, you're going to be sorely disappointed in the heavenly scene. It's going to be a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-language from every socioeconomic and educational and social background. So if you're not comfortable with that, you might want to resign right now from the Christian faith because that's what's happening before the throne room of God. And next, I want you to notice, we didn't read this verse. But in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. You want to go 30 minutes of silence? You, you know, sometimes there is a time to speak. And sometimes there is a time to praise or to sing, or to kneel and bow before God, to be submissive and obedient, to move in worship. But sometimes, God in His awesomeness and His majesty and His glory hits us in such a way that the only thing we should do is to close our mouths and sit on our hands, no clapping, no demonstrative response, just sit in silence. Maybe the Quakers do know something about worship after all. You know, in 19, thank you for putting that on the screen. You know, in 1997, our family took a trip across country from North Carolina to California and back. And one day we left Salt Lake City on I-80 and headed toward the, the Nevada line, Utah line, and we came across the Bonifil salt flats. It, it, it's an old lake that's dried up. 
and now it's composed of, of salt and silt and sand on top of hardened mud. 30,000 acres. And we got out of the car, and I had my sunglasses on. It was about 100 degrees, and it was the, the, the sun was shining. And I mean, when it hit those salt flats and came back to my eyes, it was all I could do to take in the scene. It was so bright and so majestic and so glorious. This heavenly worship scene that we've just read about that's taking place right now, it's too bright for our eyes with the peals of thunder, the, the lightning, the green, all the reddish brown, the colors reflecting off of that sea of glass. It's almost too bright for our eyes. It's too gorgeous for our ears. It's too deep for our minds. It, it, it is beyond our comprehension what is happening right now in the heavenly scene. And there's no way that we can imitate it here fully. But you know what? We can sure try. We can sure sing with all of our might. We can sure offer our offerings and sacrifices. We can proclaim God's word. We can move. We can praise. And we can bow before our God. So I want to invite you right now as we prepare to go to the Lord's table. I want to invite you to get as you're able in a kneeling posture. You've got the kneeling kneelers in front of you. If you're on the front row, uh, you don't have kneelers, so it's okay if you don't kneel. Choir, I know you don't have kneelers, but you can put yourself in a position of humility and prayer. And in a moment, as you close your eyes and in a moment of silent prayer, I want you to say two things to God. First of all, I want you to say, God, you are a wonderful, marvelous, great God, and I bow before you now, and I worship you. And second, I want you to say, God, you know me as I am. And God, cleanse me of my sin and of my failures and of my mess and junk. Cleanse me and forgive me and change me, oh God. Take a moment in silent prayer and say those two things to God right now. Oh God, we join the heavenly throne room right now. We join, God, the 24 elders on those 24 thrones. We join the four living creatures. We join the Holy Spirit. We join the lion and the lamb. We join that scene, God, to bow before you and to proclaim that you are the great and wonderful and majestic and holy and awesome God. And Lord, as we prepare ourselves to come before you now, to celebrate the bread and the cup and to give thanks for what Jesus, the risen Jesus, did for us on that cross of Calvary. God, we come confessing our sin and praying your forgiveness. 
and your cleansing power would come upon us. So fill us fully with your spirit, Lord, and enable us truly to worship you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.